pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, good morning to you. You're on 94.1 San Antonio Sports Star. That's RJ Ochoa. I'm Rob Thompson. Been a rough couple of weeks in Dallas Cowboy land. The star has been under siege from within and without. Family members taking pot shots at players. Anger at coaches. Couldn't be worse, could it? It could be a lot worse. We're joined by Assad Youssef. He writes for the Athletic, good friend of the show. And uh, Assad, welcome on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, you needed a, we needed a little burst of sunshine, my brother. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, a great article on there. And, and, and off the, on the top of it, where are we as Cowboy fan? Is it as bad as I feel? You know, I, I think there's – I think there's uh, – I, I understand both sides. And, you know, even in the comments, I had a lot of people, you know, saying that there is no positivity and everything is dark and, and cloudy and all that. And I get it. And – you know, I, I think there's a couple of uh, elements to it. Like I said off the top on my piece, like I don't think now is really the time to, even though Dak Prescott was named as a MVP finalist, I don't think now is the time to, you know, really hash out about all the positivity about Dak or Mike McCarthy leading uh, three straight 12-win seasons, all that stuff. I, I think there's a balance to what kind of things you can draw positivity from and what things are, you know, at this point a little, they just ring a little hollow. And so I think when it comes to a lot of those things like Dak or McCarthy or even Micah Parsons, I think the expectations for those guys are so high that I don't think that at this point there's a whole lot for you to really rest on positively for those guys. But then outside of that, there's a lot, there are some things. I mean, when you have three straight 12-win seasons, you win the division or the number two seed. There's absolutely things that you can, you know, look at and take forward as positive uh, development. Saad, so I don't want to start the conversation about positivity by just completely spinning it negatively. <laughs> um, but um, so number one on your list, and totally worth reading, Saad always and John at the, and everybody at the Athletic. Yeah. Uh, but your reasons to be positive in the Cowboys. Number one was C.D. Lamb is a top tier NFL wide receiver. Where I think C.D. is in a unique place is people people hate Dak for obvious reasons, right? Just kind of the, the position he holds. And Micah has kind of made himself subject to this because of the podcast, and he's really outspoken. And, and again, you know, whatever. But CD has never really caught hands from anybody. No, nobody has had any beef with CD up until the social thing last week with his mom or whatever the case was. I do feel like CD is is a in you know the the pouting or whatever you want to call it on the sideline and the wild card loss. Like this is new. These these are uncharted waters for CD in my estimation. I'm not trying to be dramatic about that, but would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, we're such a results-oriented society that, you know, when Terrell Owens and uh, Chad Johnson and those guys kind of do it, and if it derails the team, then those guys are kind of seen as, you know, like you said, in the negative light as pouting and things like that. Even Des Bryant for uh, for so long during the Cowboys uh, run as well. But I think the reason why C.D. Lamb isn't viewed in that same light is because 
the biggest example of C.D. Lamb kind of doing that whole pouting sideline thing came during the San Francisco game, and there were two things that happened. One, I think anybody watching the game, including the players and coaches and, and fans for sure, were like, yeah, well, C.D. has a point. He was open a lot, and, and I mean, look how much, look how bad the offense looked without getting him involved. And then the second thing was that the Cowboys immediately flipped the script got him involved, and, and he absolutely took off for pretty much every single week after that game. And so I think because we're so results-oriented, we just kind of forgot that, you know, that that whole thing was a kind of a negative. It stemmed from a negative thing of pouting, but I think if he pouts in that San Francisco game and then they don't turn it around, then we do see him more as that, you know, diva, Terrell Owens in Philadelphia type of vibe and less than what we see him right now. We're joined by Saad USF of The Athletic. As we look at the Cowboys going into what's going to be a tumultuous offseason, nothing new. Uh, when we look at the, the candidates for on the offensive side of the ball with C.D. and Dak, are they a product? Is the success of C.D. a, a, a product of Dak's improvement, vice versa? Uh, and where does McCarthy play into this triangle of success? Yeah, I think I think to some extent there there always is um, you know a, a little bit of that. There always is a little bit of you know it's it's uh, it, it, the quarterback is has a lot to do with how good a receiver is. I mean, we saw that. I mean, you know, one of the best receivers of all time, Randy Moss. I mean, you see what he did in Oakland in 2006, and then in New England in 2007. I think I think there's always some element to that, but there is C.D. Lamb to me one of the and I wrote this too, and and, and to me it was most impressive watching this year. It's that it's not about how talented or how good he is. It's the fact that he is pretty much unguardable. I mean, he he was the number one guy on this team. There was no Amari Cooper. There was no 1A, 1B situation going on. He was the number one guy, and yet he was still getting open every mm-hmm. single time. Now, the quarterback has to put it on him, and I think that's, that's definitely part of it. But true number one receivers are able to produce even when the quarterback might not be, you know, an MVP candidate. And we saw that in Cincinnati with Jamar Chase doing it with Jake Browning, right? And so I think there's different tiers to this thing. And I think mm. what C.D. Lamb kind of showed is that he he really is one of those top-tier receivers. Saad, I, um, it's okay if the answer is that there wasn't, but I don't know if, if there was a sixth option that you didn't include in terms of reasons to be positive. It was a, a list of five, and... Because I was kind of thinking, right? Because I agreed with your entire list. But if, if I had to offer a six, I think, you know, outside of the way the season ended, I might have said that Mike McCarthy called his shot and lived up to it. I, I think that the, you know, tumultuous nature of everything has kind of obviously overshadowed that. But he said, look, I want to call plays. I think I can make this offense more efficient. And he was right. And I think under normal circumstances, that would be celebrated. If it was any, you know, young hotshot coordinator after their first season, people would be kind of throwing them flowers. But nobody wants to, again, for obvious reasons. But what was what was the, the fat you trimmed off, I guess? What was number six on your list that you left off? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a good one. I, I You know, for me, I think there was, there was just a little bit of, for me, with Mike McCarthy, and this isn't necessarily just this season alone, but I really do like the the way that he takes chances, and he doesn't he doesn't coach like he's scared. And I think part of that is is just McCarthy, and part of that is for all of us who have you know I, I've been in Dallas since I was two years old. It's been it's been a long time, and and so for me, like you know, we we lived through the Jason Garrett era, and you kind of see what coaching scared and coaching conservative looks like, and I think. That's part of, you know, I think that was another positive for me as well is the fact that, you know, 
playing to actually win the game and, and you know, taking chances, going for it on fourth down. Um, the calling the shots and, and, you know, taking up play calling, I do think that was a huge plus. Um, but, but, on, but I think it kind of all goes hand in hand. And the fact that McCarthy really had confidence in his approach and the way that he was doing things. And, you know, whether you want to call it a positive or a negative, it could, it could go both ways. But I really do appreciate the fact that when the season ended, we all knew exactly where to point the finger for good or for better or worse. We knew exactly where the blame was to go, where the credit was to go. And it really was all on the feet of Mike McCarthy. He is Saad Youssef of The Athletic uh, here talking Cowboys, as you'll see all of his stuff on the regular there. Make sure you're following him. Uh, when I look on the defensive side of the ball, Micah Parsons, of course, is going to lead the way, and then Deron Bland and Trayvon Diggs and all that. Tell me reasons to stay excited if we lose uh, and, or, or extricate Dan Campbell, I mean Dan Quinn, and, and we change all defensive coordinators. This is a defense that was kind of made in, Quinn, in Quinn's image. I mean, we got a lot of guys that might not fit on a lot of defensive coordinators, uh, you know, size and, and you know, general physical attribute list. We just don't look like a lot of defenses. Can they change defensive coordinators and keep the manpower they've got? Or is, if they lose a Quinn, do they have to get an acolyte to kind of maintain what they've built? Well, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to, you know, I, 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 I respect Dan Quinn a lot. And I think he, he's done a phenomenal job. I don't think, I don't think I'd be too upset if he was coming back no, uh, well. as the defensive coordinator. But I, I think there's also whether he comes back or whether it's somebody completely different. I think, this roster can use some changes in, in, in bodies and, and things like that. And I'm mainly talking about the linebackers mm-hmm. because, you know, it's one thing, it, you know, when, when things are working well, uh, where we're sitting there in press conferences and going about, oh, well, how great that Marquise Bell is able to convert from a safety to a linebacker. But then you get run over by Aaron Jones and you realize, you know, having some linebackers that are true linebackers might not be the worst thing. And, and you know, I think obviously Van Der Esch, his future looks, I mean, uncertain right now, but I would say unlikely. Uh, but you're going to get overshown back, and you have uh, other guys that are going to step up. And you have this entire player acquisition period to go, um, which is going to be free agency in the draft. And I really do think that, you know, there was a, there were some questions going into the season, such as kicker, um, where there were actual questions, and the, uh, the answer was really a positive thing. But this whole thing with the linebackers, this is something everybody saw coming out of training camp, and it really did kind of just, you know, go exactly as everyone expected, where at the end of the day, the run defense was not very good, and, uh, and you know, they got, they got taken advantage of, especially in that playoff game. So, you so last one, um, you, also, you do a great job covering the Stars as well. Um, no disrespect to the Mavericks, although, you know, yeah. we are San Antonio, so, I mean, a little bit, uh, but... Um, it, it hasn't helped, I don't think, that the Rangers won the World Series. If the Stars were to, you know, obviously be successful this season, I I mean, do you think you have a great sense and temperature of the DFW area? Do you think that would really exacerbate the issue? Um, or do you think at this point the issue just kind of is a monster no matter what size it is? Yeah, I think at this point it just kind of is what it is. And, and, and you know, to be honest, I kind of lumped the three things, uh, the Rangers, Stars, and Mavericks in one group, and then the Cowboys as their completely own entity not because the drought has gone so, so long, you know, I, I mean, I think, I think we've seen the graphic uh, going around this morning from Junior Miller um, about, right. you know, the, the 28 uh, season drought versus the zero for the Stars, zero for Rangers, and only one for Mavericks. But I think, uh, I think you know, this is something that Machota and I have talked about a lot, that 
when the Cowboys do win the Super Bowl, when, whenever that time does come where they win the championship or, uh, and do that, I mean, there's no comparable. There's no, there's no, you know, there's no closeness to the Texas Rangers. With all due respect, winning the World Series, the Dallas Stars winning the Stanley Cup, or the Mavericks winning a championship, it's going to be its completely own beast. And I think right now it's its own beast as well. And I don't really think that, you know, that however long this, this drought continues to linger, I don't think it really has anything to do too much with the other three in terms of how you feel about it. That is, uh, it, that is so true even today. And when while we sit on the outside of the Metroplex looking in, it's hard to fathom how, you know, the anger that you feel from the hinterlands isn't translated inside the city. But the Cowboys are separate and apart from everybody else up there in the Metroplex, as is. Hassan Youssef joining us with The Athletic. Real quick, uh, the coaching hires yesterday, a surprise by either? Um, n- not terribly surprised. I think, I, I think you know, we've kind of seen that, you know, I, obviously Belichick was the one that's kind of like, you know, hanging out there. But I think there's a lot of baggage that does come with that. And, and it's not like it's not toxic or bad baggage, but just in the way that, you know, you have to have your entire organization on board when you bring a Belichick in because you're going to give him full organizational organizational control. Other than him, I mean, honestly, I was I, – I, Dave Canales was not on a lot of people's radar. I think I was looking more at Bobby Slowick for, you know, a job that would go in that realm. But um, that was a little bit surprising, the Canales one. But the Raheem Morris one was really not very surprising to me at all, at least. Um, I kind of – I, I think I would have been more surprised if uh, if the Falcons hired Belichick than Raheem Morris, uh, to be completely honest. But the Dave Canales one was definitely one that opened some eyes, opened some eyes for me. Well, we want to thank you for stopping by, man. It's always a, a great uh, talk. You bring a lot of knowledge. Have a great weekend, man. We look forward to talking to you soon. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, guys.